0: And Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, it's our IWF policy focus titled Technology's Potential Revealed in the Pandemic. We'll discuss how innovation changed the landscape of medicine, work, and education, and what this means post-pandemic. Joining us to discuss this is Simone Barron. Simone Barron is a visiting fellow with Independent Women's Forum. She used her 30-plus years of experience working in full-service restaurants to advocate for the industry and its workers. She is the co-founder of the Full Service Workers Alliance, representing representing restaurant workers in the protection of their freedoms and flexibilities through legislation advocacy. Simone is a Fox Business News contributor and has been published in multiple publications, including the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post. Her educational video for Prager University produced earlier this year on the impacts of minimum minimum wage mandates on the restaurant industry has garnered over 3 million views. It is a great video. I encourage you to watch it. Simone, thank you so much for your work on these important issues and for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. And we're going to get into the policy focus and talk about how technology really has helped all of us in the pandemic. But I want to start with that Prager University video. You took on a a topic that I think is a hard one, which is explaining why the minimum wage hurts people. When you look at public opinion on paper, it sounds like a great thing to raise the minimum wage, but you've seen firsthand in the restaurant industry that it doesn't always pan out the way that you, that we want. What was the turning point for you to see that the minimum wage raising it and having mandates doesn't always help?
1: Well, the turning point for me was losing um, income. So I think the idea is, you know, we see that people are going in and saying, you know, raising the minimum wage is super helpful. It's a boon for workers. But what you don't see are sort of the uh, minutia of the whole idea. You know, you can't blanket it across industries and just think that it's all going to be a one size fits all situation. Um, And we saw that with the restaurant industry with tips um, income. And so for me specifically, And for a lot of uh, tipped workers in Seattle, where I'm working and where I'm living, um, we saw a loss of income. And then we eventually saw a loss of jobs and then a loss of uh, restaurants. Um, So it didn't really work out for tipped workers and restaurants specifically. And we're seeing across the country a lot of workers that are stepping up and saying, hey, we can make more money than the minimum wage that you're proposing um, and that uh, minimum wage minimum wage law is going to hurt our industry and basically um, just change the way we work and and make us lose our incomes. And so um, I made the Prager video to sort of explain to people how a minimum wage increase actually impacts a tipped worker like myself and. A lot of people just, you know, they don't know how we work and how it all, you know, uh, works out, and so they needed to know. So that was sort of like my educational piece on how (laughs) our restaurant works. Yeah.
0: And I would say I was able to pay my way through college based on being a waitress. So I worked off the tip industry as well and did waitressing in several different states. Some Mm -hmm. had a very low wage that was given to me, but the tips made up for it. Some states had a mandate of what it needed to be. Um, I found that those tips just weren't as high in those areas um, where where there was a mandated wage. So it it is really this interesting industry. And I wonder for the people that that you worked with, did you find a lot of them were willing to speak up against the minimum wage? Um, I even think of those who just are independent contractors and don't fit into this 9-to-5 one-size-fits-all right. mentality that the federal government often thinks everybody deals with. Uh, did you find other people were willing to speak up?
1: Well, I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting, too. I mean, of course, I'm out here on the West Coast where everything is super duper liberal and people um, really kind of bought the whole um, idea of a minimum wage hike, you know, hook, line, and sinker. I I have to admit, you know, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, great. This is going to be great. You know, I'm going to make $15 an hour plus tips. And then what happened was it didn't work out that way because of the economics of the whole situation. So I think people... At least a lot of workers seem to want to be very altruistic about it, and they really believe that this is going to help people. But they just don't understand that when you know the real-world implications of uh, applying policy like this. And so, you know, you referenced you know states that don't have that high minimum wage that use a tip credit, and I've worked in states like that where I've made two thirteen an hour, um, but with tipping. I've made well over that, like $40 an hour, $25 an hour, whatever it is. But um, here, what has happened, as they have um, raised the wage, the tips go away. And it goes away in a couple ways, whether it be, um, you know, customer coming in and just the perception of you making $15 an hour seems like a lot of money to them because they don't understand uh, the industry and they don't understand what we actually make or the fact that the employers just can't pay $15 an hour across the board. So they're actually giving, you know, restaurant owners are giving a raise to some of their highest paid employees, which are the tipped employees. And this does a lot of things. You know, it, it, it stagnates the wages for the back of the house, so they can't give, um, they can't give uh, raises to people who work in the kitchen because they have to give that money to um, tip workers in the front of the house that are already making 25 to $50 an hour. So that doesn't make sense. And so it's got to come from somewhere, right? So we've seen a lot of um, restaurant owners change their tipping models, uh, going towards um, service charges and the like, or taking away tip lines and things like that, which is what happened to me, which stagnated my wage. And it actually took money out of my pocket because I wasn't able to maximize my income at all. And, Um, so that's the kind of thing that you look at. And then if you think about them, you know, trying to blanket this across the country, you know, what might seem like something great in Seattle where their cost of living is so high, is not going to work in a place like Muncie, Indiana, that will just completely bankrupt small, you know, local restaurants. There's no way they could pay that. So I think this minimum wage hike really needs to be looked at through a microscope, And um, to determine, you know, whether it's viable for an entire country. I just don't think that um, people are actually doing their due diligence and and looking at this type of legislation um, with like under the microscope, like I want to say. So, yeah, that's what I think. I completely
0: completely agree with you. And, And so often something that seems, as you said, altruistic and seems like a good idea When you actually put into Mm -hmm. practice, it harms the people that you were intending to help. And that's why I think with all policies, it's important to look at the trade-offs because there are always trade-offs. And I think this time with the pandemic has given us an interesting time to look at the workforce um, through the lens of yeah. technology. Now, not all businesses yeah. were able to keep functioning because technology wasn't the answer for the type of service they did. Restaurants being a good example of that. But now as this time is more people are vaccinated, more people have antibodies and are getting back to work. Our covid numbers are going down. States are opening up. It's now time, I think, to really look at the pandemic and what technology has meant for this time. It's been a very hard time, but without technology, I don't think we would have been able to weather it in some cases as well as we have. So tell us a little bit about your policy focus. You co-authored it. It's on IWF.org. It's called Technology's Potential Revealed in the Pandemic. Big picture, what was revealed? What did we learn during the pandemic? What did technology offer us?
1: Well, we sort of focused on three specific genres, I guess you could say, telemedicine, telework, and virtual learning. And I think those are big uh, topics that uh, affected the majority of people in the United States. Um, And I think we've seen that the pandemic really, really sort of shoved a lot of us into embracing um, technology, maybe some that was already... Um, available and uh, sort of kind of push the envelope uh, for technology and, and the way that we use it. And specifically, like with um, telemedicine, you know, we saw that there was like less than 1% of um, all doctor visits um, being able to be offered or, or taken up uh, through a telemedicine visit. But because of the pandemic, you know, that went up to 69% because people you know, if they wanted to see the doctor, the doctor was saying, "I'm, you know, I don't want you in my office. You know, we have to make sure everybody's distance and and, and those kinds of things. So um, I and I think that that's kind of an interesting um, idea because the telemedicine has always been here. And we've had we've had it for quite a while, but there have been a lot of restrictions, you know, from state to state. There are different laws uh, surrounding telemedicine and what could be available or what could be offered. Uh, to people. And because of the pandemic, we saw a lot of that uh, relaxed. And so people were offered um, the ability to stay at home and have a doctor's visit through their computer, which, um, you know, most people wouldn't necessarily take up before that. So I think that having a large option or a large amount of options to be able to do something um, medically is great. And it, and it's convenient, too, because it frees up your time. You know, if you have just some little grievance that you need to talk to your doctor about, you can do that through the computer. You don't have to, you know, make take time off work and, and, and go in person and sit in a waiting room and all those things. You can schedule your uh, visit through a Zoom call or however they or whatever platform that they have, um, and then it's also uh, an idea that you know you've got to like the transfer of information as well. So it's becoming easier as the states lacks their um, requirements about telemedicine um, by you know how they transfer their information, um, and so that also makes it convenient for people to quickly. Uh, get referrals to other doctors and things like that um, where before it may have taken a little more time. So yeah, I think we're seeing, a, yeah, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of new things that people can take up as an option to go see the doctor. And I think that's fantastic.
0: And one of the things I've wondered as we're getting out of the pandemic and, and some regards that I've wondered if those regulations are still going to be rolled back so that people can use telemedicine. Have you seen it on any level that States or on the federal level, they've tried to re-implement some of these regulations. And do you think that patients and doctors will, will continue to want to use telemedicine? So was this innovative enough in a positive way that you think it's going to continue?
1: I think it is going to continue. I think that the convenience for, um, the patient, not only the patient, but doctors themselves, I think that um, that it's going to continue. It's probably going to expand a lot. And um, I think that the states are going to embrace it. I don't think that um, – I think there are a lot of questions yet. And I think this happens with all, um, all of the tech things that are going on right now. I think that we still have to kind of look at stuff and, and figure out, you know, what's positive and, and, and what what are the negatives to it as well. But I think for the most part, the flexibility that these sort of textings offer um, people who are working or people who are, uh, you know, uh, patients going to the doctor, things like that. I think that that is such a boon. And I think through the pandemic, we realized that, like, we've got all this technology, let's start, you know, exploring it and embracing it and seeing where the positives for us lie. And so I do believe that the states are going to expand um, more and more um, options for telemedicine.
0: And real quickly on telemedicine, before we move on to the teleworking aspect of this, one of the things I've wondered is, if it has opened up this ability to do healthcare across state lines, that's always been a big push by conservatives right. to open up the ability to see doctors in different states or use insurance companies that aren't in your region. Did that open this up? And is that a potential where you can see a specialist across the country because of telemedicine now? Was that one potential benefit of this?
1: Uh, Absolutely. I think it is a potential benefit. And when you see um, more and more people that are using telework, um, basically can be, you know, these people can be nomadic, so to speak. They can go from place to place and and, uh, be able to, you know, to, to be able to see a doctor in another state because maybe you're working in a project in another state. I think that that's really, really convenient. And But I think, you know, there are a lot of um, things that, again, we have to look at to make sure that, um, you know, people's privacy and their um, information their health information um, is being taken care of and being protected. And those are the kinds of, um, I think, rules and regulations that really need to be sort of looked at and adapted towards um, telemedicine and telehealth.
0: I find moving to telework, I've found this area very interesting. My business district media group, we all teleworked prior to COVID. So we were already set up for this. I know a lot of offices had to reconfigure how their employees work very quickly once the pandemic hit us. But I, I, what do you, what did you see as some of the most innovative, as, innovative aspects of people teleworking? And how much of, do you, of that do you think is here to stay?
1: So telework to me is a really interesting um, idea, and as we discussed before, you know, I come from the restaurant industry, so I'm used to going to a place to work, and there's no way that I can work, you know, through a computer, waiting tables, or what have you. Um, So this is a really interesting topic to me. Um, But the one main thing that I think telework offers, which is so great, is flexibility. Um, That's one of the most prized things to have in any work situation is to be able to come and go as you please, to be able to, um, work when, you know, it's most optimal for you. And for, through the pandemic, what we've seen is, you know, people were forced to work from home or those who could, um, did. And it offered a flexibility and a better way to kind of balance your work, homework, life situation. Um, but, Some of the things that were also interesting to me, um, it would throw people, you know, especially um, parents into that situation where they were balancing um, teaching their kids at home and working. And so that's a difficult difficult thing to sort of navigate. And so there are a lot of challenges with working from home, of course, which, you know, distractions from being a parent. Um, to just being able to, uh, you know, sit down and, and focus and be able to uh, map out a schedule for yourself and work and make sure you're productive. So I think telework has great potential to to be a boon for some people. And like we've seen and what we wrote about in our policy focus is that, you know, most um, people that really sort of had success with telework were people who you know, have college degrees and, you know, are kind of sort of on that higher echelon of, of wage earners. Um, but then when you think about how that would affect, say, a restaurant grouper like myself, how, how did, you know, how did uh, low-wage workers actually try to adapt during the pandemic with a lot of people being able to work from home? And so for that sort of idea, what I look at as, maybe a boon for some people, maybe not a boon for people that actually have to go to places to work, especially people who do work in um, industries like mine, where they are sort of reliant on people who actually go to the office to work. And now they're not showing up, not going out to lunch, and then that doesn't feed you know, my pocketbook. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic there as far as um, how telework impacted um, different
0: Types of industries. And, and what I thought was fascinating about the innovation aspect to all of this in the restaurant industry is they had to think outside the box. And so delivering food, yeah. certain areas let you deliver alcohol through Uber Eats or whatever service that used DoorDash. And so they had to be creative, even setting up outside seating if they were allowed to have a certain amount of people sitting outside. Do you think this also demonstrated that whether it was more in the blue collar space or in the white collar space, that people did have to become innovative, that they didn't stick to the whole nine to five, everybody go into the office mentality, but really try to figure out within this free enterprise and the use of technology, how do we make this work?
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's one of the things that the pandemic has kind of uh, showed us again, you know, we have this technology at our fingertips and how do we embrace it and make it work for us? And we did see that with the restaurant industry. You know, we saw uh, people trying to, you know, set up all kinds of different um, apps and, 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 and ways that they could connect with their customers that they never even thought to do before. And again, yeah, I think you're right. It's taken us out of that nine to five mentality where you have to go to some brick and mortar place to um, actually, you know, be productive. Um, But for things like a restaurant, I think, you know, you do have to get creative because it's a different animal, so to speak. You know, it's not an office job where you can sit at a computer all day and be productive. You actually have to interact with people. And that's one of the things that the technology for me kind of has a downside because, I understand in a way we do get all connected. You know, we were able to connect with, you know, our grandparents and um, our teachers and, you know, our doctors through Zoom calls and things like that. But where does it bring us together um, in such a way where we're, we're actually really having those meaningful connections. And, and when I think of working, and I specifically think about the restaurant industry, that's where a lot of connections are formed. And so, You know the the restaurant industry, or you know, work or a restaurant is basically a heart of a a community. That's where people gather. That's where they talk. That's where they exchange ideas and they really connect. And so, how do you, how do you, change it from just you know serving food, you know, to really connecting with your customer um, when you're not you know physically able to do that? And so, yeah, we saw you know a lot of. Uh, restaurants do creative things like, you know, if you came by and grabbed something to go, they would get your information and text you a thank you and try to connect with the customer that way and actually have the conversation when they couldn't do it in person. And those little things really, really matter, and I think um, something like that is going to remain in the restaurant industry where people will actually, you know, even if they can come and sit down and do that, but maybe they'll grab something to go and maybe you'll get um, a little text from the restaurant saying thank you. And, you know, I, I think, again, we should just really embrace what's at our fingertips and be creative with it and see where it takes us.
0: And I'm glad that you did mention the trade-offs. I do think the lack of connection with people has been a huge trade-off for so many people. Mm -hmm. And I think another aspect of technology being a trade-off is this idea of privacy. And I think especially when we think of young kids and online learning, the privacy aspect, and also them just being on a computer and not interacting with kids and being outside. So my final question for you is is that when we look at the trade-offs, especially in the terms of online learning. Do you think what we should take from all of this is, obviously, there's the bad. Let go of the bad, but let's embrace the good, the good that has come from technology during this time.
1: Yeah, I think we should. I think we um, we do need to embrace the good. And we need to maybe look at the bad, not let it go, but just look at it and see where, you know, either get rid of it or improve improve it. And as far as, like, um, you know, virtual learning is concerned, I think it's sort of a mixed bag with students. I think there are some students that actually have thrived through this and then others that have not, you know. And we've seen um, that kids that have, you know, especially young kids or kids with learning disabilities, it's very difficult for them to, Um, really be able to get the benefit of virtual learning. Um, But for other children, I think where the social aspect in school is difficult for them to navigate, um, online learning is a great option. Um, But then again, there's a lot of things that need to be uh, refined as well. I mean, we saw public schools really, really trying you know, having a difficult time trying to get some sort of um, coercive platform together. Um, I know here in Seattle, the public schools had a really difficult time. They were sort of juggling using Zoom calls and um, a platform that was previously used to uh, send information to parents. They were using those two things combined to try to teach students, and it was really not working out. And I think we had a decline in students actually attending school for a while until they kind of got, you know, rolling. Um, But then we also see other um, online schools that have already built out platforms like Canvas and others where the kids, you know, can go in there and it's really accessible to them. So I think there's a lot to look at with online learning. I think it's a really great um, way to be able to, have ex- access to education and be able to do something like working during the day or taking care of children. I think for adults or people that are going to um, college and, and um, higher learning um, institutions, I think that um, virtual learning is really convenient. Again, it's that convenience option that you have. So I don't know. I think that, uh, I think it's, it's a way for us to keep connected, but again, I think it's not ideal, and I would hate to see technology sort of, I don't know, create the space where that's the only way we connect and that we get used to that's the only way we connect, and I think through the pandemic, we've seen sort of that, you know, we're all trying to keep socially distanced and things like that, but I, don't, I wouldn't want that to be the norm. I right. think that being able to, you know, and especially you see that with young kids, that want to go to school and be social with, you know, other children. I, I, I would hate those opportunities to be taken away from them because we are social creatures and we're people and we do need to be around other people um, and for our own, you know, mental health and, and, and I, it's who we are. So right. I would hate for technology to kind of overcome that or not overcome that but take that away from, from us as human beings. Um, and, but at yeah. the same time, it's exciting to like, you know, learn how we can use the
0: technology to to help us. And that's why I think this policy paper is so important because it does explore the good and the bad, the trade-offs that we all have um, when it comes to using technology during this pandemic. It is called Technology's Potential Revealed in the Pandemic. You can find it on IWF.org. It does focus on the medicine, medicines, so telemedicine, telework, and online learning, so education. And I think it's a good thing to look at to see how the free market was innovative during this very, very hard time. Simone Barron, thank you so much for your work on that and also for joining us today. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.